growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week, we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award-winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome to all you astral travelers, cosmic junkies, and earth surfers. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. Today's topic is curing reefer madness. You know, in the past, when somebody said reefer madness, the first thing I'd think of is some old propaganda-spewing production released under the guise of both education and entertainment by the government. Nowadays, I feel like reefer madness refers to the false belief that cannabis is a scary, addictive substance that will destroy the world. This mass delusion that somehow a plant that has been used for literally millions of years by hundreds of millions of human beings without a single recorded incidence of fatal overdose could be toxic or even evil. Unfortunately, while a mention of the vintage flick usually gets a chuckle, its premise is no laughing matter. Beliefs based on those very lies are being fought to this day. The misinformation of the public about cannabis is responsible for epic rates of incarceration and untold amounts of needless suffering by millions. The biggest travesty is that cannabis should be highly exalted for its unique attributes. And anybody who's had any personal experience with cannabis can vouch for its safety and effectiveness both for medicinal and recreational use. Education seems to be the key to curing ignorance, so I say that cannabis itself is the cure for reefer madness. So, my guest today is one of our most highly regarded advocates for the freedom to use cannabis, Dr. Lester Grinspoon. He is the Associate Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and author of the books Marijuana Reconsidered and Marijuana the Forbidden Medicine. Dr. Grinspoon is a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the American Psychiatric Association. He was founding editor of the American Psychiatric Association Annual Review and the Harvard Mental Health Letter, which he edited for 15 years. He also has two websites I think you'd like to visit, Marijuana the Forbidden Medicine at www.rxmarijuana.com, which highlights thousands of individual anecdotes concerning the medical uses of marijuana, as well as question and answer. And he shines a spotlight on the uses of marijuana at www.marijuana-uses.com which allows people to submit essays relating to the enhancing effects that marijuana can have on the user. The focus is on effects which are meaningful for the individual, not merely increased appetite, but rather effects such as increased creativity, rushes of insight, new ideas, or increased appreciation for music, art, and nature, all the things that we we know cannabis is really good for. With experience and accolades practically too numerous to mention, I am honored and very excited to welcome him to the show. Welcome to The Grow Show, Dr. Grinspoon. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. How are you today? I'm fine. Very good. In New England. It is. It is. I'm an East Coaster myself. I often miss the East Coast with our wonderful weather out here every day. I like a little rain and cloud every now and then. Right. Or the leaf changing, which we're enjoying now, the color Uh, and the leaf. So beautiful. Dr. Grinspoon, we've never met in person, although I have attended many of your keynote addresses over the years at normal conferences and alike, and I want to thank you for your outspokenness, which has undoubtedly furthered our fight to normalize, decriminalize, and all-out legalize marijuana. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Well, 
Over the years, you certainly have many accomplishments. And for the people that aren't familiar with your story, could you provide a little background on your career and how you got started as a cannabis advocate? Yes, I'll be glad to. You know, I was on a straight academic track at the Harvard Medical School, and I was nominated for early full professorship, which, in fact, was turned down because marijuana reconsidered was considered too controversial. I had actually started to work on this in 1966, and the circumstances were this. Carl Sagan and I met at a anti-Vietnam War activity. We were both involved in, in opposing that war. We ultimately became each other's best friends. But in the first time I was invited to a party at his place in Cambridge, I saw someone smoking a marijuana cigarette. I had never even seen a joint before. And it was Carl Sagan who was smoking it, plus a number of his friends. I could scarcely believe this, and I said to Carl, you know, you shouldn't be smoking that. That's very harmful. That's really going to be detriment to your health. (laughs) (laughs) And Carl took a puff, and he looked at me, and he said, oh, Lester, have a puff. (laughs) You'll love it. Well... You know, it wasn't just the Carl used it, but these were not unsophisticated people that I met more and more through him, and many of them used marijuana. You know, I decided, well, what I had to ask myself, what is the basis of my believing that it's harmful? Where's the data? And it was clear that I didn't have any data. I was just mouthing what the general consensus in medicine was, that it's harmful. So I decided to go into the Conway, the Harvard Medical School Library and find the medical and scientific basis for this disastrous prohibition, which even then had arrested over 300,000 people, most of them young, about 89% of them from, from mere possession. This was really pressing on me. And so I went in there to find the basis for this because it had to be justified. And lo and behold, as I worked in that library, it wasn't long before I had an epiphany. I had been 180 degrees off. I was wrong, (laughs) completely wrong. And in fact, by the time I finished the work, and this was published in Scientific American, and it uh, in November of 1969, uh, December of 1969, and it created a sensation. My wife and I were listening to the 11 o'clock news. Harvard professor, I wasn't a full professor. Harvard professor says marijuana not harmful. <laughs> <laughs> So you found out that you'd been brainwashed like everybody else about cannabis, and did you, feel, did you feel a little duped? I did, and, you know, I was going to leave it there, but the Scientific American article attracted so much attention. The three publishers, different publishers, came to my office and asked if I would do a book. I had already now expanded it into an 80-page paper, which was published in an international journal of psychiatry. And they said, would you do it? Cut it down, and we'll make it uh, 
Uh, they, they, and that, that was cut down and made into the Scientific article, Scientific American article, and that really attract, attracted these publishers. And to make a long story short, I decided to do it for two reasons. I decided to go with Harvard University Press, and the two reasons were, one, that my son, who uh, was ill with acute lymphocytic leukemia, was this was the only subject that I worked on at home that he was ever interested in. Mm. And he was very interested in it. And two, I found that the fact that I had been duped meant that someone ought to try and pull this together so people can understand this drug is not a terribly toxic drug. In fact, it is remarkable for its lack of toxicity. It is the least toxic drug that I know of, including all of those in the pharmacopeia. So I started to work on this book with the understanding that they would have a copy for me and bound a copy in October, uh, in November, November 24, 1971. And my part of the contract was to get it in sooner than they ordinarily required. We both kept our sides of that contract, and I did have a book in my hands by that date. And that's how, that's the improbable way in which I got hooked on studying marijuana. Now, that's not the only thing I've done in my life. I've published 10 books. Absolutely. We're all very thankful. I, I'm sure that most of my listeners are aware of the work that you've been doing over the years. You quickly touched on, but can you tell me a little bit about your own personal experience with cannabis and of your son, Danny? Well, the personal experience is divided into two parts with Danny and then my own use of marijuana. Surely. Now, the Danny thing goes like this. Uh, when Danny got sick, I went to the head of childhood oncology department, Cindy Farber, who had been my professor at Harvard Medical School, and asked him if he would take care of him, and he did, but he retired not long after that. And when his successor was chosen, I was invited to a dinner party to meet him. And at dinner party, he said to me, uh, Dr. Grinswin, I've read your book. It had a chapter on medicine, on 19th century medicine, really, when it was used as medicine in this country as a liquid. I have a 17-year-old boy who really would struggle when we had to give him his medicine because he couldn't stand the nausea and vomiting. And, and the medicine, please, please inform people it, what, what was well, his, the, the uh, his chemo, ailment? The, chemo, the, chemo, the cancer chemotherapeutic stuff. Uh-huh. Cancer chemotherapies make, most of them make you very nausea, nauseated. And he said mm-hmm. that one day this kid, let's call him Stephen, came in and he got up on the gurney without a fuss. They gave him the injection. He saluted them. Hey, Jen, see you two weeks. And he went off very pleasantly. And this new man on the faculty said he was completely puzzled. Now, I read the chapter you wrote in Marijuana Reconsidered. Is, could that, is that consistent with what you wrote then? I said, yes. They used it for nausea, but nobody knows about how effective it is in the nausea which is created. It's such a severe nausea and for many of these uh, cancer chemotherapeutics. But I suspect it would be useful. On the way home, my wife said to me, Danny's got another appointment in 
or next week or whatever. Shouldn't we get him some marijuana and let him see if this is useful? And I'm almost ashamed to say this. I said, no, 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 it's against the law. And we don't uh-huh. want to offend, we don't want to offend the people at the Jimmy Fund building who are taking such great care of him. And that was the end of it. Well, I, right. I see he got his treatment at the Children's Hospital, all the Harvard Medical, many of the hospitals are right all around the medical school. And mine office was right just a block away from the Children's Hospital. So I meet them in the treatment room and he got his treatments. I walked in, they were already there waiting for the injection. And this time, instead of being, you know, having anxiety exuding from the facial expressions of both, they were chatting and having fun. And I said, hey, 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 let me in on the joke here. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> and I finally learned. He, I saw that they weren't saying anything. But he got up on the gurney. He had the, the injection. He got off. And they went out to the car and went home. And then she related to me that not only did he not, he would usually go home to his bed and it'd be a big bucket and for eight hours he'd have first vomiting and then just awful dry heat. This time, as they got to Wellesley, he said, hey, Mom, I'd rather go to school. I'm feeling fine. So Danny was having a great reaction to the medication, obviously. Yes, it relieved our anxiety about his suffering from that nausea and vomiting. And for him, it was a godsend because that was the part of his treatment which he had so much anxiety about. So that was just the beginning of your positive association with marijuana. And you know what? We're going to take a quick break to talk to our sponsors. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. And we'll be right back to talk some more with Dr. Lester Grinspoon. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, Most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We are talking with Dr. Lester Grinspoon, professor at Harvard School of Psychiatry. Dr. Grinspoon, you were just telling us about your initial experiences with treating your son, Danny, with cannabis that helped change your impressions of the usefulness of cannabis. Can you tell me specifically, how did you come to the conclusion that you were initially wrong about cannabis being dangerous? Well, it was a matter of getting in the library and reading the papers which have been written on it. And, you know, between 1850 and 1900, I counted almost 100 papers. And there weren't many modern ones, but there was no question in my mind about the toxicity issue. That was a red flag that had no meaning because, as I said, one of the things that's remarkable about cannabis is how limited it is in its toxicity. There has never been a recorded death from an overdose of cannabis anywhere in the world. And we know its use goes back many centuries. So it is, first of all, a safe drug. And the second big lesson I had about marijuana is that it was useful. It was useful as a recreational drug. Everybody knows about that. But I was beginning with not just the literature from the 19th century, but with my experience with Danny, it was preying on my mind to start to look at what this represents as a medicine. But there wasn't enough data around at that time, and I decided to postpone that. And finally began that book in 1993, and there wasn't, still wasn't much data around, but there were a lot of personal reports about it. So early on, you obviously <laughs> saw through the red journalism campaign that was be, being perpetrated by the government. How soon did you have your first personal experience with marijuana? Well, it went like this. As I was going back now to the work, I went into the, after that, paper was published in Scientific American, and I started to work on the, on the Harvard University book, Marijuana Reconsidered. I covered everything in that book, from the chemistry to the ways in which it was used. And I read the accounts of uh, the club days, the members of the club days, Ashishan, like Godier, and others. I read the Americans like Gaylord Taylor and, in fact, my friend Carl Sagan under the false name of Mr. X wrote a wonderful essay about the way in which he finds it. And I said to myself, hey, this stuff sounds interesting. I'm going to try it. But I also recognize that if the book were successful, you know, here's a book saying that marijuana is not only not very toxic, but it may be useful, published by a very conservative, not very, but a conservative press, Harvard University Press, it just might attract some attention, in which case I anticipated I'd be asked to appear before legislative committees and courts and so forth. And so I made a resolve. I wanted to try this, but I was going to wait two years from the date of its publication before I did that. And I kept that resolve. And then, uh, two years later, at a party in Cambridge, I had my first 
my wife and I had our first experience with cannabis. We were the only ones in the group that hadn't smoked it up till then. Tell me quickly, describe that first personal experience and how it made you feel. Well, it was a very strange one. I became very anxious, which one can when when one first uses marijuana, if you take more than you should. Then you Surely. Don't have Especially when you know that it's illegal. Yeah, yeah right. And I was set and setting. That's exactly right. And I, I was so anxious, and I drove home, and I got my bet. My wife said to me in the car, "Look at Lester. You wrote in your book. It takes people a number of times." Oh, the, I, and the anxiety <laughs> was pinned to the idea that I was fraudulent. I had written a fraudulent <laughs> book. It was a placebo. Nothing happened. Everybody else <laughs> stopped smoking and said they were they had enough. Betsy and I asked her anything. She said not. And they, I don't feel a thing. I said, neither do I. And I became anxious because I thought I had done something terrible here. I was deceiving a lot of people. Well, it wasn't. It was years later I realized I had an anxiety high. I mean, and it wasn't. You know, <laughs> and she said, "Macar, look at you know this." Carl Sagan, our friend, said he didn't get high until his sixth try. <laughs> and <laughs> why did you believe what you? understand to be true but she couldn't talk me down from this and finally next week we tried it again nothing happened but on the third occasion we got a high and we loved it (laughs) and never looked back (laughs) something that we all agree on here listening to the show i'm sure is that cannabis is medicine and that there is a need for easier access the saddest thing to me is that people are afraid Um, afraid that it's only not safe or therapeutic, but they're even brainwashed into fearing the plant itself and the stigma associated with it so much that they'll actually deny themselves relief. And in the past, you've been quoted as saying that cannabis truly is the people's medicine and it is, quote, the wonder drug of modern ages. Have you ever seen marijuana do harm to anyone who has tried it for medicinal purposes? No. I've seen some young people who become so stuck on it that they, you know, they use it as an excuse for not trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. But that's another matter. That may be, they may be into something else, something more dangerous like alcohol. But I've never seen anybody harmed in the least by using it as a medicine, or for that matter, pretty much anybody use it in any way. You see, there are three. You know, I knew when I went into it that it was a recreational, or when I first got into a recreational drug, and I soon learned a lot about medicine and wrote the book on that, so that was the second use. But it's really comes through, largely through my own personal use, that I have described a third broad category, and they're somewhat conflated categories of use, and that is enhancement enhancement of human capacities. Now, everybody knows if you eat something while you're high on cannabis, it may be an ordinary food, but it sure does taste like a culinary treat. That's an enhancement that comes That's the best fast food burger I've ever eaten. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And one could say something quite parallel to that about the sexual experience. But there are other enhancements. Absolutely. Like, in fact, 
Carl used it. He, you know, for example, we were together one night and smoking, and he knew us. Someone, people send me gifts from California, and I received some neatly rolled joints from someone in California. But I would mm-hmm. enjoy this. I took them in, and we did. And I had three, uh, two or three of them left, and I had them in my little container. And when I left, he said, Lester, I have to finish the last chapter for, I can't remember which book tomorrow, and I wonder if you could let me take that joint. He used it for enhancement, for writing his books. Lots of artists do. Lots of people use it as a way of seeing around, enhancing, seeing around corners they ordinarily don't see. So I think that's an overlooked, but it will become more prominent in the future, the enhancement of a variety of human experiences. I agree totally. I liken it a little bit to the effect of like you're at a train station and you're set to pick somebody up and you know that it's a man or a woman and they have dark hair or light hair and the train opens up and hundreds of people get off the train and your brain instantly factors out all of the people that don't meet that criteria. And I find that what cannabis does for me is it kind of filters out a lot more of the background information or the static noise and helps me to focus on what it is that I'm trying to accomplish at the present moment, whether it be physical or mental. It's just a wonderful medicine. Yeah, it is, but it's also more than the medicine. That that gets beyond medicine, and recreation is outside of medicine. So there are these three Absolutely. big categories, and it makes one so angry about this prohibition. It's one that goes back almost 80 years to the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. And, you know, I think eventually some social historian is going to look back on this time, you know, who knows, sometime in the future, and say, what in the world was this mass delusion all about? And how was it sustained so long? And how is it that people put up with all the damage that was doing, particularly the young people? They were more concerned about, you know, the damage they thought that cannabis would do to their young ones. Sure. And and the damage done by so many other legal substances is so much greater. You know, this is such an interesting conversation. I'm sorry that we have to break again, but guess what, everybody? We're coming back with a third segment. We're going to put the Ask Kyle off until next week, and we're going to come back and talk some more with Dr. Lester Grinspoon after our break for our sponsors. We'll be right back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarterInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Carter Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. 
mjwellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is usually where we go to our Ask Kyle segment, where I answer your questions about growing great cannabis. But today, we're going to extend our interview with Dr. Grinspoon, but Ask Kyle will be back next week. We've been lucky enough to experience a period of growth with respect to human rights issues. One example is the progression of cannabis reform in this country. Another is that our friends from the LGBT community are finally allowed to marry the person they love. However, we still have some big bridges to cross. We recently saw the disappearance of Confederate flags from public property. Racism is still undeniably simmers under the surface. Police brutality is out of control and school shootings barely even make the news anymore. Last week, there was a shooting at Northern Arizona University. My producer's daughter actually goes to school there. And gun control, drug decriminalization, pay inequality, criminal justice reform, all these issues, a woman's right to choose. Could you give me a synopsis? Where do you see us going with these issues of the times right now in the next 10 years? Well, you mean not just the cannabis issue, but the ones you mentioned. Well, I think we're, you know, this summary is that you are able to summarize now those issues and that they are being reviewed. We have to do something about all of these things that you mentioned. You know, other people have taken on these other issues, and that's great, and I hope more people do. I will continue, you know, now that I'm emeritus, I spend most of my time with this thing on marijuana. At one time, you know, the book came out in 71, and by the time the 80s and 90s came along, I despaired that I would ever see the overthrow of this terribly destructive prohibition in my lifetime. But I'm so glad to see what's going on now, because not only uh, are people getting close in, in 23 states, it's approved medically, and four of them uh, is completely free of the prohibition, and that is just going on state by state, and that's wonderful. Gives us a bunch of state experiments for other states to see what form they want to stay. But the point is, the prohibition is falling. The cat is out of the bag, and it will never be put in that bag again. And the way to ensure that it isn't put in the bag again is for people to keep in mind 
and even practice if you can grow your own one because you're afraid a government sometime in the future will change its mind about this or because the people who are selling it are becoming greedy and it's too expensive grow your own and that's the way nothing absolutely no way of our being able to freely use this drug is not the terrible pestilence that I thought it was when I started. It is a blessing, and we should treat Cheers to that. Absolutely, and that's why the name of my show is The Grow Show. And I've spent my career trying to help people learn how to cultivate their own medicine legally and through Good compliance. I have a couple of questions here I think you might enjoy here to finish out our last segment. So okay. what would you mandate if you were appointed the new U.S. drugs are? I would mandate a federal walking back of the prohibition. Take it out of Schedule 1. It's just no longer to be a, a, a drug. It can be regulated. It should be regulated, like alcohol. But it mustn't be prohibited. It should be regulated, and the regulation should be reasonable. That's what I would want. Just get out of it altogether. I'm now officially nominating Dr. Lester Grinspoon for the U.S. Drug Czar. And if anybody would like to start up a campaign, we'll get you elected on the Internet. <laughs> so, do you think that any of the current U.S. presidential candidates have what you would consider to be a common-sense approach to drug law reform? Well, frankly, I think Bernie Sanders is probably the closest to anybody who's talking about the real issues that face us. Here, here. He's a realist. You know, I don't think he knows much about cannabis at this time, but he's a very smart man. And, he, you know, he has a good hold of the reality. The reality is this prohibition is a disaster. And even now the government is freeing some of the people they, they put in jail on account of this. But this is a man, he's the one candidate I would have confidence in who would say, hey, I'm for getting rid of this prohibition. It was a big mistake. We have to live with the fact that we've done this, but we've got to stop doing it. It's over. Man, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, I've got, I got one last question I want to ask you here, just for fun. Could you tell us a little about that cruise to the South Pacific with your buddy Carl Sagan? Well, Carl Sagan was invited on the cruise and the stipend would be not so, not a stipend, but uh, he would go, of course, uh, as their guest, and he would be allowed to bring us as his guests. And I tell you, we had a wonderful time. Uh, they gave him their 10 suites on the uppermost decks with a bedroom and a living room and a balcony. You sit up high on the ship and the cloud formations on the Pacific. <laughs> and we would sit there and we'd have a smoke and we'd just have discussions. And, uh, and the visuals were fantastic. You know, we, we, we enjoyed the cruise immensely. He had to give a talk, and I agreed to give a talk on cocaine. I had just published a book on cocaine, but that was really, you know, part of the... It was really his attractiveness to them that made it a wonderful cruise. And then when the cruise, the last day of the cruise, we agreed that we should get rid of the marijuana. And I thought <laughs> that... There's a, you know, there's a uh, door, it's not called a door, and a ship to the 
crew's quarters. And I thought I'd just throw the bag down there and let the crew and they know what it was and they'd enjoy it. But he he was very concerned about that. And so he insisted we drop it overboard with one of those heavy glass ashtrays from the ship. <laughs> and so it's now somewhere uh. down at the bottom of the Pacific and the crew is denied some pleasure. But what the hell? <laughs> Well, sir, you are definitely a part of our history and American culture. You're an old guy, but the stories you tell bring some wonderful visuals to my my mind. I hope the listeners have enjoyed the show. I just want to say that I think that your contribution to human culture is every bit as important as Masters and Johnson, just to say, for example. And I want to thank you for being here. I hope you continue to uh, have a fruitful career and an enjoyable life. And before you go, can you tell us how best people could reach you or uh, an email or maybe mention your website again? They could reach me at an email at Lester underscore Grinspoon at H. HMS dot Harvard, HMS is for Harvard Medical School, HMS dot Harvard dot edu. And the website that I think most people would enjoy most is, there are two of them, but I'll just give you the one for the time's sake. It's marijuana hyphen uses, U-S-E-S dot com. It was what I was going to write the third book, but I ran out of steam. I wanted to write a book. I'd written one on, you know, recreation, because that's what Marijuana Reconsidered was all about, was it safe as a record. And then I wrote one on the medicine, marijuana, the forbidden medicine. And the third area is this business I call enhancement. And these essays are essays which illustrate how some people find it enhances their lives other than just as something fun to take and get high with. Well, and sir, look, thank you I so look much. At all those essays. I don't take them all, but I look at them. <laughs> Dr. Grinspoon, thank you so much for talking with us today. I hope that we get to meet in person soon in the future. And you have yourself a great day, and thanks for being here. We are out of time, everybody, and thanks for joining us on The Grow Show. I want to thank the guests and producers for making the show possible. Please make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, to find out where to follow me on social media and the upcoming events I'll be attending. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to cannabisradio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I am your host, Kyle Cushman, and as always, please stay lifted. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.